Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. number of headlines as we jump into this second hour this morning. The CDC uh, is going to meet today. Well, CDC advisors, not the whole CDC. I don't know how even how that would happen. But anyway, uh, CDC advisors are going to meet today to review a handful. Literally, this is a very, very a small number of cases, but there are cases of blood clotting among people who have received the Johnson & Johnson covid 19 vaccines, six people out of an estimated 6.8 million, which, which, by the way, if you want to look at clotting, um, f- clotting factors and challenges posed by medication, look at birth control and this same question, because it's like a hundred times as bad. But anyway, uh, they're going to look at this and they're going to talk about um, what to do going forward. Currently, uh, distribution um, of the J&J vaccine is halted just right here in the United States, just until they figure out what's going on. Um, I think it's probably going to increase vaccine hesitancy. Why wouldn't it? Um, Global cases of the coronavirus have climbed for uh, seven straight weeks. That is going to be in the headlines today. Also in COVID-related headlines, we are a mere 100 days until the opening of the Tokyo Olympics, but Japan is reporting that only 1% of its population has been vaccinated, which may lead to some nations not sending their athletes uh, uh, to the Olympics, not because of boycott reasons, but because of COVID reasons. Um, so the, the in other sort of pharmaceutical news, I think I'll describe it that way, um, the United States Food and Drug Administration changed their policy yesterday, now allowing women to receive abortion pills without visiting a doctor's office or a clinic. Uh, This is supposedly a COVID-19 provision, but let's just admit it's a way of the federal government making abortion pills available um, via telemedicine without requiring a person to actually, you know, see a physician, have a conversation Get a sonogram. It's just, it's bad. It's bad policy, but it is now the policy of the United States. Um, President Biden has also announced the withdrawal of all troops from Afghanistan by September 11th. September 11th, obviously a um, a significant date, the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks here on American soil. Um It's symbolic, but you are going to hear and read today across every media outlet. Like, there's nobody out there. The Associated Press, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, U.S. News, uh, the New York Times. Nobody is, uh, is saying this is a good idea. Here's how the Wall Street Journal characterized it. It's symbolic, but it's arbitrary. The date shows that the decision is driven less by facts on the ground Then by a political desire, it's also a strategic gamble. History suggests U.S. interests will suffer. You're going to read um, similar sentiments by editorial boards across the country today. Um, And so you may well see the Biden administration 
reverse course on the announcement of the withdrawal of all troops from Afghanistan by September 11th. There's also going to be a congressional hearing today in Washington. It is the first time that a bill that was proposed in 1989. Yeah, hear me on that. This bill was first proposed in 1989, and it is, as of today, going to get its first hearing, first vote in a hearing. Um, What is the subject matter? Uh, It would be the creation of a congressional commission to study and make recommendations related to the paying of reparations to the descendants of enslaved people in the United States of America. Uh, This is big. Um, It is already happening in some communities. Evanston, Illinois, uh, became the first city to begin a reparations program. Many, many, many criticisms of the way that this is happening. Uh, And let me just say that it is the people who would be the beneficiaries of such programs who are complaining about the programs. And so um, the criticisms of the way reparations are being paid in Asheville, North Carolina, um, or the the plans of Virginia Theological Seminary or Princeton Theological Seminary for reparations funding via um, educational grants, uh, all of those um, are unsatisfactory uh, to people who want to see reparations paid in direct payments. Um, Here would be a line... uh, Education and housing, those are opportunity vehicles, and those work best when coupled with actual justice, not confused with justice. So there you go. There's some talking points, things you're going to hear today um, in relationship to headline news. John Brandon joins me next. He's a Forbes columnist, columnist. He's an author. He's also the digital media director at Northwestern Media. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about trolling. What is trolling? Hmm. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. joins me again today. John, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is a term we hear, um, and we're not even all sure we know exactly what it means. So what is trolling? Yeah, and it's definitely not related to fishing. So uh, trolling is something that's been around uh, for a while, back when the bulletin board systems first started. It basically just means that you're kind of making negative comments about somebody, you're trolling them because you're following them online, and you're sort of, uh, whatever they post, you maybe make a rebuttal comment about it. Uh, you're you're actively voicing things that you don't like about that particular person. That's what I'd say trolling is. So if, um, if I note that a particular individual is always sort of the first to comment um, whenever... Uh, Whenever somebody posts something and and they are the first to comment, they it's always negative. It's often completely unrelated to whatever the content is. Um, That person is trolling. Yeah, and it comes from the I mean, this is something that comes right from like folklore literature. The troll is kind of the, the village troll. The person that's kind of uh, maybe always in a bad mood, and uh, I always envision someone who's maybe you know in their parents' basement with a laptop, and all they have to do all day is is sort of comment on what other people say. What's really interesting for me this last couple of weeks is I found out kind of the root cause for it and why people do this on social media, 
and on websites and comments. And what it comes down to, it, there's a book by uh, Ethan Cross called Chatter, and it just came out. This guy is just a brilliant uh, writer and author and uh, psychologist. And what, what he writes about in the book, he mentions how trolling is something where people just don't have a filter. And uh, what it comes down to is there's this thing he talks about in the in the book called rumination. And what it means is that as humans, when if you or I were in person right now, Carmen, um, I could see kind of your body language. I could see if you're listening. I could kind of pick up on verbal cues from you, visual cues. And uh, I would maybe ruminate about that and think about my response based on what I'm seeing in your own reaction. And what happens with trolling is none of that happens. So when someone sees your comment, they don't have they don't take the time to ruminate about it. They don't take the time to think whether this is going to be hurtful or not. And so they just start typing. And unfortunately, this is one of the downsides of technology. It's immediate access to things. Uh, you can go on Twitter, you can go on Facebook, and you're not ever ruminating ruminating about it first. You're just you're just typing. And this is really what's caused troll-like behavior on social media. And I, I, the, the other thing I've noticed, Carmen, is that it seems to be getting worse over the last year or two. And I'm not really sure why that is, but I think it's just because uh, people are not given the chance to ruminate about things. So um, if you're looking for resources, uh, let me just encourage you, you could actually just simply Google something like uh, the word trolls and the word Christian, you're going to come up with resources from Christianity Today, a Christian response to trolling. Um, you are going to uh, see resources from churchplants.com, 10 signs you're dealing with a theological troll. You're going to see resources from the Washington Post, online troll or therapist, atheist evangelist, see their, uh, see their work uh, not as trolling, right? So there's people out there, they see it as a calling, they don't see it as trolling, um, John, before we leave this topic, let, let me um, let me dig around in something else related to this. I am very uncomfortable when individuals who are engaged in this behavior, this behavior of trolling, are then called trolls. Like I am sensitive enough to the to the propaganda of dehumanizing people and calling them snakes or vermin or cockroaches or other things. We we learned, we have learned over the course of history that every time we call some, someone something less than fully human, we literally dehumanize them. And for Christians, that's just never acceptable. And so in, in the culture and even among Christians, these people are referred to as trolls. But I view that as that's not up to our calling as Christians. Like we need to describe the behavior as trolling, but not the people as trolls. I like what you're saying. And in the book that I mentioned earlier, it's Ethan Cross as the author. So he, he actually talks about there's a journalist who went out and, and, and he kind of tried to find out who are these uh, trolls, like you said, who's trolling him. And it turns out it's always real human beings somewhere, you know. And this this journalist went and met with them over coffee and said, what's going on with you? Like, why did you say this comment? And then you find out Maybe there's a broken marriage. Maybe there's, a, you know, they've experienced some trauma in their life. Uh, I've experienced trolling myself many times. And I think a, a lot of our online activity, the question is, how are we reacting to it? 
And a few years ago, actually, probably about five or six years ago, I decided to just not really respond at all. And I just decided not to engage with it. And I think the reason I did that is I don't know the person. They don't know me. Uh, I heard a comment recently that these are just digital bits and bytes on the screen. I mean, why do we carry so much, why do they carry so much weight in our life and our thought process? So you're, you're exactly right. Uh, someone is doing the trolling, but it's someone who has, they have feelings themselves, you know, they're going through something. And uh, maybe our response should be to pray for the people who are trolling us. Yeah, no, no question about it. No, no question about it. Um, and I think that in, in some cases, the the seek them out direct confrontation part works, um, particularly if you have a way of knowing who they are. Um, but then there is also the don't feed the trolls, avoid it altogether. Um, and, and that for in many, many cases is the right approach as well. So this is one of those things that requires real discernment. All right, John Brandon and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the boring company briefly. We might talk briefly about the boring company, but then I want to talk about meetings and how to make them less boring. All right, that's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. All right, uh, boring, boring, boring a hole into something. <laughs> why, why do we even use that term to describe how we feel when... We literally, like, can't keep our eyes open one more minute in a meeting that's not just putting us to sleep, but, like, sucking the soul out of our body. So there's a boring a hole in things conversation to be had here, and we're going to talk about the boring company. What is the boring <laughs> company? Uh, yeah, it's it's even funny just hearing you say that. And, and Elon Musk uh, was making a joke about four years ago about maybe he should call the company uh, the boring company, and he said he'd maybe like to drill a hole between, I think it was the LAX airport in his office at Tesla, and uh, you know, boring a but a tunnel sounds kind of familiar to some of us who have maybe lived in any urban area in our entire life. You know, it sounds like the subway. Uh, also, it sounds kind of like a train. But uh, I was really critical of this one because when I read about the there's a demo in Las Vegas just recently where they did a 1.7 mile uh, boring tunnel where you can drive a Tesla through the tunnel. And the reason I was critical about it is because the car only goes like 35 miles an hour. Uh, it's very claustrophobic. So you're in basically this tight enclosed tube. And But mainly it's because I just thought, why are we doing this when we already have transportation that you know runs through a hole in the ground? So uh, we were talking about trolling earlier, and, and I'm very curious today because the article just came out yesterday, and there's some real fanboys of Elon Musk out there, fanboys and girls of him, and I'm expecting some trolling today because of this article. I hope they read it and they kind of say, you know what, he's probably right, it is kind of similar to a subway. Oh, it is kind of similar to a subway. I just get to take my own car. Right? right? One at a time. Yeah. So imagine the congestion that's going to occur. Maybe I'm missing something with this one. I just read it and I thought, you know, maybe I need to go in the tunnel myself. Maybe it really will go 150 miles an hour someday. But for now, it just seems like it kind of fell flat. Uh, I, I also thought about, you know, do I really want to be in a car in a tunnel for, 
you know, let's say 30 minutes or something like that. It doesn't sound no. fun to me. No, I don't want to be in a tunnel for 30 minutes all by myself trapped in a No, no. <laughs> but there you go. Um, so let's talk about, let's pivot. Let's use the same topic, the subject of being bored, and let's go into a meeting um, and let's jump to your website, 7minutesolution.com, because you have a piece posted there, Four Ways to Run a Meeting and Change Your Work Life. This is really about um, leading meetings that are not boring. Yeah, that is the most brilliant pivot I've ever heard. So the boring company leading to boring many, many, uh, meetings, that's that's perfect. Uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to kind of... Uh, emphasize something about meetings uh, on my website, 7minutesolution.com. It's a brand new site. Uh, it's kind of a call out to say, hey, I realize that meetings can be really boring and they just seem to take forever. There's actually a better way to do meetings. Um, by the way, one thing about this article, so my daughter Rachel is actually on my launch team for my book. So she wrote this article. Uh, she's a writer. She's a church planter in Austria with her husband, who's the pastor. So this article that she wrote is really about how Jonas, his, her husband, leads meetings, and he's very intentional about how he leads them at his church. And they take a certain amount of time. He covers certain topics. In my book, there's the seven-minute meeting, which is more of a huddle. It's like, grab your team together, you know, in the studio there, we would grab Paul and we'd maybe grab a couple other people and we'd have a seven minute meeting and we would decide uh, on a topic really quickly and run through an agenda in seven minutes. What it's really all about, though, is it, it's confronting this idea of boring meetings, but really it's saying meetings are not productive. And how can we do this differently and how can we make a decision quickly and then move on to other things? So that's really the goal. So um, I I think this is just critical. I am in meetings that have um, sometimes no agenda, um, and that is frustrating to me. I am I am not in a meeting. To, I I did learn this early on, John, and I, I guess I would share this with you. Some people are in a meeting to be in a meeting, and some people in are in a meeting to get something done. Right there, mm. and they have no sense that they want to be in a meeting just to be meeting. So there's a fellowship, particularly church people. Right, church people need to totally know and understand this. You might have ongoing meetings at your church that are not designed to produce anything other than a reason for a group of people to get together. And you need to know that. You need to know going in if you are been invited to a meeting um, to be at a meeting. Or if you have been invited to a meeting that is intended to produce a particular outcome, that there is a work product that's expected, I now always ask in advance. When I'm invited to a meeting, I always ask in advance, what is the expectation of the outcome of this meeting? And if the answer is, we're just meeting to meet, I'm like, I'm not your girl. I will absolutely frustrate you as a participant in your meeting because I'm going to be driving toward some kind of product. I, I want, right. I, you know, so... So I would say, you know, I completely, absolutely, 100% echo, you know, lead confidently. That's like lead, like lead. Um, know the material in advance that you want to talk about, which is which part of that is have an agenda and be prepared in advance to talk through your agenda. Um, I like the provide a very short intro and ending. My way of saying that would be tell them what you are going to talk about, talk about it, and then tell them what you talked about. And I would add to that, assign tasks and jobs to be done um, prior to the next time this group meets if there's going to be a follow-up. 
and then decide a time limit and try to stick with it. I um I am that would be a huge huge point for me. I want to know what time the meeting actually starts, not we're going to gather at this time and 15, 20, 30 minutes later we're going to get started. Uh-uh. I want to know the start time of the meeting and I want to know when the meeting is going to end because I got a lot of things going on. So, there you yeah. go. Yeah, I love it. Crazy. It frees you up to do other things too, Carmen. Once you're intentional with meetings, then you can have that fellowship time outside of the meetings and and build kind of rich relationships with people. So I totally agree with you. Just being intentional, watching your time, have an outcome of the meeting, that all makes perfect sense to me what you're saying. Well, it's all from your article. So there you go. Um, you guys can read it at 7minutesolution.com. John Brandon is not the article of this particular piece. His daughter is Rachel, and how do we pronounce her last name? Lingauer. Lingauer. Rachel yep. Lingauer is uh, is the author of the piece that we uh, have just discussed from 7minutesolution.com, Four Ways to Run a Meeting and Change. It couldn't just be change your work life. Change whatever portion of your life the meeting is related to. So there you go. All right. Yep. Hey, John, thanks, as always, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yep. Good to be here. we got to take a break for Breakpoint. Hmm. I don't know a good segue from sperm count to to what we're going to talk about next. So uh, there you go. Sometimes I'm stymied, right? To whew. Okay. Um, let me start with this. Or let me ask this. How many blankets and pillows do you have on your bed right now? Paul Perot, how many blankets and pillows do you have on your bed right now? Well, uh, if you include the extra one, my wife you have to include on them four. All. Four blankets. Four, and that's, four blankets. I think there's like four pillows. Yeah. So um, Paul and I talked about this yesterday in anticipation of the conversation I'm going to have today with author Elizabeth Garn. Um, and I had to confess that um, there might be 10 pillows on my bed right now, which it sounds crazy. Four that we like use and then six that are decorative. And then when I say that out loud that there's 10 pillows, I'm like, OK, now I'm a little embarrassed. OK, so next up, Elizabeth Garn. Why are we talking about that? Yeah, you'll have to you'll have to listen to find out. We'll be right back. This is Max Lucado. If you were told you were free to enter the Oval Office at the White House, you'd shake your head and chuckle. You're one brick short of a load, buddy. Multiply your disbelief by a thousand, and you'll have an idea how a Jew would feel if someone told him he could enter the Holy of Holies, a part of the temple no one could enter except the high priest, and then only one day a year. Why? because the glory of God was present there. God is holy, and we're sinners, and there's a distance between us. Like Job, we say, if only there were a mediator who could bring us together. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. God welcomes you. He's not avoiding you. The door is open. God invites you in. This is Max Lucado. All right, joining me now, Elizabeth Garn. Uh, she is an author. She uh, has an MA from Reformed Theological Seminary. She's a wife. She's a mom. She's a writer. She's a speaker. She is a picker-upper of Legos. She leads Bible studies. She speaks at conferences. She's 
you'd like her if you got the opportunity to sit down and talk with her. So we're thrilled to have you here today. Elizabeth um, joins us. The book is Freedom to Flourish. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's really fun. So um, I teased this up um, by asking people to consider how many blankets and pillows are on their bed right now. And I had to had to confess there are 10 pillows on my bed. Four that we use. <laughs> like, right, I use two. Jim uses two. His pillows are better than my pillows. That is an issue in our house for sure. Um but we have six decorative pillows. And then when I realized that and like had to like confess it out loud, like that sounded like a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, but it kind of matches our bed here. So I can completely understand that. All right. So um, why why are we opening this conversation with that question? Well, I suspect it's because in one of my early chapters in the book, I talk about tucking my youngest into bed and getting her all kind of cozy with her comforters and pillows. And then um, we talked about how much I love her, which is kind of a normal conversation, I think, for for parents to have with their kids. And I kind of said, you know, hey, is there anything you could ever do to make me love you any less? And she said, no, because she knows me. And we have this conversation all the time. And so I listed different things that she might do that would make me you know, possibly love her less if she was really mean or if she broke all her toys or which, of course, none of that is true for her and wouldn't make me love her less anyways. Um, But then I kind of changed the conversation on us. And I said, is there anything you could do to make me love you more? Um, And that stumped her. And eventually Mm. we kind of talked about it because she can't do anything to love me more to make me love her more. I already love her with all my love. Um, And in Freedom to Flourish, we kind of parallel that with God's immense love for us and how easy it is for for women like myself, and maybe not all women, but definitely for myself, to feel like I needed to earn more of God's love, that the Mm. love he showed us at the cross was kind of a baseline. um, But instead, we could, you know, do really good things or work really hard and that we might earn more of that. But that is not the way God works. And that is not what our purpose is. So yeah, pillows and comforters. So Freedom to Flourish is the book, The Rest God Offers and the Purpose Mm -hmm. He Gives You. Elizabeth Garn is the author. Um, Elizabeth, in in conversations in my house, when I Mm -hmm. uh, ask the question about um, pillows and blankets, um, you know, everybody kind of giggled, right? It's a good, (laughs) it's a good conversation starter. Um, It was a conversation about tucking in. It was Mm -hmm. a conversation about security blankets. Mm. It was a conversation about going to college. Do I Mm. take that security blanket with me? Yeah. Um, And and it was also a conversation about weighted blankets. Um, Both of the kids in my house appreciate sleeping under a weighted blanket. They like the feeling that that... um, that's the that level of security. I yeah. am a I am a person who values being tucked in and I want to uh-huh. be completely tucked in. I'm like a cocoon sleeper. And that's kind of funny, right? Because no, you know, I, I totally mar- get it. I got married ten years ago and um my husband was like, Okay, what is this tucking in business? I'm like, I this is how I like to sleep. So yeah. So um yeah, and that doesn't mean we don't, you know, hold hands and snuggle and, and do everything else married people do, but man, in order to sleep, I wanna be really tucked in. So it's uh-huh. a great way of getting into conversations with people about 
how they feel about things and why we feel the way we feel and what's of comfort to us. And then it leads to this great conversation about the love of God. And I just, I just really, I appreciate how accessible and real this book is and the conversations it provokes. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear you say that because that was let's definitely one of the, the goals. Yeah, let's talk about the itch you're scratching um, with okay. this book. Um, and I think that maybe just giving people a window into your own life and the lives of other women you know is is helpful in this context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, you know, to put it really short, I grew up in the church. I loved God. I was definitely one of those kids that that just really grew up wanting to be a, a godly Christian woman. We used to joke about wanting to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And the problem was for me, as I grew up and as I read all the books and went to all the conferences and did all the stuff, instead of finding out very much about who God created me to be, I was getting a lot about what women were supposed to do. Um, And as a result, I kind of grew up with this idea that the highest calling of women um, that God had for us was to be wives, to be mothers, and to work really, really hard. And I kind of got exhausted. I I tried to do all those things and I worked really, really hard and I kind of lived with a perpetual sense of failing constantly. Um, And it really wasn't until I got to seminary that I started to hear some of my professors teaching about what it means to be made in the image of God, um, how that relates to God's command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and, and kind of the deeper meaning of that. And, you know, it's not just about having babies and all of these things started to, um, really bring me a lot of freedom and a lot of rest to say God's purpose for me is not to overwork myself. It's not to, to do all these things. It's not even really about me anyways. It's about him and about being his image on the earth. So that, that is the whole purpose of this book is to kind of communicate some of these ideas and, and hopefully bring other women some freedom too, because it's exhausting trying to do it all. <laughs> it is exhausting. I think the, the exhausted Christian woman is the, um, uh, is the audience uh, to whom we're speaking right now. And she's listening, just to let you know. Uh, she's listening. That exhausted Christian woman is listening yeah. right now. If you've come to believe that God's purpose for you is rooted in what you do and not who you are as his image bearer, um, this Freedom mm-hmm. to Flourish book by Elizabeth Garn is a real blessing. Um, we're going to turn to Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, um, when we come back from a very brief break. And we're going to have a conversation about You know, the description of Jesus being the exact imprint of God's nature, what does that have to do with the way I view myself? That's up next here Mm -hmm. on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I am uh, continuing my conversation with Elizabeth Garn, author of Freedom to Flourish. Elizabeth, let me tee up this part of the conversation by reading Mm -hmm. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why am I reading that? And what does it have to do with my freedom to flourish? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, A huge 
topic, obviously, in this book is the idea that we are made in God's image, that when God created humanity in Genesis 1, he he didn't just create people. He told us why he was going to create them. And he says, I'm going to make man in my image and in my likeness. And so we spend a lot of time talking about what that means um, and why that's important, because it is the heart of our purpose, um, not about what we do, but who we are, who we are created to be. And the reason Hebrews is so important is because the writer of Hebrews declares that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And in other words, Jesus is the very image of God. Um, and so one of the things we talk about in Freedom to Flourish is the idea that that Christ is kind of the the ultimate blueprint. He's He is the image of God and he lived on earth. And so when we want to know what it looks like for us to live as God's images, we really need to look to Christ. What did Jesus do? Um, how did he live as God's image in this very broken world? And of course, he was sinless and he was God. And so there's a lot of things we can't do like what he did, but but we look to him. Um, it helps us to understand too this idea of sanctification, because so often when we talk about sanctification, we think about sinning less. Um, mm. And the reality is that it, sanctification is so much bigger than not not sinning. It's, it's not about sinning less. It's about looking like Christ more. Um, it is that process by which that image of God that was damaged in the fall is being restored. And so sanctification is this great thing because it's not about making us something we're not. It's actually about making us into our, our best selves, the selves that God always intended us for us to be, to be like Christ. I'm, uh, I'm making a note there. Um, being more fully conformed to the image of who Christ is moment by moment in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, like that process of sanctification, mm -hmm. not being so much about sinning less, but about uh -huh. looking more like Christ, um, who yeah. is, you know, the radiance of God's glory. My husband likes to talk about Jesus being the one who exegetes God. <laughs> yes. Like, right. Perfect. And so, um, you know, so when we talk about how my life becomes a visible living demonstration of the gospel or how mm -hmm. um, people can experience kingdom principles when they are with me. Like, mm -hmm. it's not just can they tell that I have been with Jesus. Can they tell that I am, I am Jesus-y? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. So the Freedom to Flourish, it really is a conversation about um, understanding ourselves as the image bearers of God and then as Christians, what that looks like in terms of a life that looks like Christ, because mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is doing this work within us. We're cooperating with the Holy Spirit and we are becoming um, more and more conformed to the image um, of Jesus. Um, when you, you know, in sharing this with readers, with friends, um, with women, you know, um, how have people responded? Uh, you know, the response has been overwhelmingly encouraging. I, you know, I wrote this book in so many ways because this is what God had put on my heart and this is what, what I needed to hear. And so being able to share that and realizing, well, this is what other women needed to hear too is, is just wonderful um, mm -hmm. because there is a need. I think so many of us feel tired and, and even talking about, you know, looking like Jesus, it's so easy to think, oh gosh, she's going to give us another list of things I have to do. I have to read my Bible more. I have to pray more. I have to serve more and realizing, no, 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 that's, that's not what, what God's telling us in this. This is about just being close to him, 
Because as image bearers, the closer we are to him, the more we will actually just be transformed. Like we will naturally start doing all of those things that right now we're kind of dreading or that make us feel tired. Instead, it's just about being with him because he loves us. So, yeah, great. Yeah. How much, you know, I think that uh, uh, a question that's that's provoked by all of this um, and it gets back mm-hmm. to the tucking in experience, right, with your child. Yeah. Um, I mean, you love that, right? I mean, you love oh, yeah. those those sweet moments and that tucking mm-hmm. in and that um, and you don't my guess is you don't think of that as oh, I gotta go tuck that kid in again. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And neither does God feel that way about spending time with us, right? I mean, God God wants to provide and console and counsel and lead and direct and support and save. I mean, God God wants to do all of those things. This is his very nature to love yeah. us. Um, and so if I think if we would, I think what you help us to do is to see ourselves as the little child who God really does want to tuck in. And, um, and, and bless. I think that's really, you know, for me, just so much of the takeaway of the book, um, and, and what I appreciated about it. Oh, good. Um, so, um, Elizabeth, how can we pray for you today? Um, well, I think just, if you could pray that this book would get into the hands of women who need it, that is absolutely the biggest thing. Just All right, let's do that. Father, we thank you um, for Elizabeth, um, our sister in Christ. We thank you for the way in which you work in her mind and her heart and her life. We thank you for her family. um, And we thank you for the gift of this book. And we ask, Father, that as it goes forth into uh, the hands and lives um, of women who are weary and exhausted, that you would use it as a gift of refreshment, that women would see themselves as your image bearers and learn to rest in the purpose that you give us uh, as your daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So sweet. It's so sweet to meet you. Thank you so much um, for the gift of your ministry. Thank you so much for having me today. This was awesome. Oh, that's mutual. All right, that's Elizabeth Garn. <laughs> the book is freedom to flourish the rest God offers in the purpose he gives you. We'll be right back. All right, at the uh, at the end of every show, I have a list of what I call leftovers. And so um, let me just go ahead and say there's lots of leftovers in today's show. So I'm going to hit a couple of headlines that we didn't hit, um, but that I think you will appreciate being aware of. Um, the Biden administration has rejected a 2020 report on religious liberty. It was a, uh, a report commissioned by the Trump administration, and it was the Commission on Inalienable Rights. You might remember that former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo sought to um, make that uh, Trump Commission report on unalienable rights the centerpiece of America's foreign policy Um, Mike Pompeo's successor, Antony Blinken, has said that abortion and LGBTQ rights are just as important as religious liberty and has therefore dismissed um, dismissed that report. Um, So many headlines that we could turn to. Be praying today for an Orthodox Jewish couple in New York who is suing the city of New York um, because they have uh, been rejected from housing lotteries because they have six kids. So 
when you listen to John Stonestreet talk about the importance of children, and you as a Christian recognize the importance of children, let us also recognize there are many policies in our cities and in our states and in our nation that discourage people who have kids and discourage people from having more kids. And so let's celebrate the children among us. Let's support those families that need support today. Um, because being pro-life is not just about the pre-born. It's also about supporting those who have been born and making sure that they have lives of uh, flourishing freedom in the midst of this great nation where we're privileged to live and serve. All right, that's all we've got time for today. You can grab the podcast and share it with someone else at MyFaithRadio.com, or you can certainly do it on the Faith Radio app. If you've not downloaded the app, I highly recommend it. It's a really easy way to get the show every day. Listen to it um, at your convenience and super easy to share it with someone else. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.